Number eight is to uh, avoid the news or don't mind the news. Mm. Um, because the news can really affect the way that you feel. And we know that when sometimes when we make decisions or more times when we make decisions based on just our feelings, uh, they tend to be incorrect. Uh, the news is, in my opinion, is, is there to capture your attention. And there are two very, very powerful emotions that um, it tends to capture. And these two powerful emotions are also emotions that um, cause us to be terrible investors, which are... Hello and welcome to Rob Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my co-host, my bro Jax. How are you today? Yes, Peter. I'm all right. I'm very good. Um, I've actually just got back from an MOT test for my car mm. um, and unfortunately it failed. Oh, my bro. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm only saying oh because I've felt that pain. But... <laughs> so, and so... we shouldn't be laughing, man. But what's, what's the damage, bro? What's the damage? Yeah, so, so funny enough, I was driving and a small pebble flicked up, probably from the car in front of me, and it hit my windscreen, which made a very, very small crack um, on, on the windscreen. Not in a very, you know, not in a hard place where I can't see anymore. Mm. Apparently, the crack has now gone long enough to the point where it can fill an MOT. I think if the crack Gosh. is longer than 40 millimeters, it mm. can fill an MOT, and that's just what's happened. So, yeah, a bit of a financial loss there, but that's what emergency funds are for. Listen for real, for real. But yeah, so what is you gotta leave it in the mechanics for them to fix it and then you get it back? Well, with this situation, I was actually able to uh, go through my insurance, so um, pay the excess and the insurance company will sort it out um, in a couple of days. Nice, nice, nice. But now, uh, key point there, man. Um, how much? I mean, what sort of situation would you be if you didn't have an emergency fund? Well, I would have either had to wait uh, to a payday um, and use the money then, which means I would have probably had to do the MOT test again, because here in the UK, when you have an MOT test, a lot of them will give you 10 days to fix the issues before you can go back and do another test without having to pay for the test again. So I would have had to pay, wait for payday and pay extra, which is hmm. obviously not ideal. And if I wanted to do it before then, uh, with no emergency fund, I would have either had to sell assets very quickly um, or... I would have had to use debt, which, of course, is not my uh, cup of tea. <laughs> for real, for real, man. No, but I fully hear that, man. And thank you very much for that lesson in the first 15 seconds of this episode. We love it. We love it. But no, man, for our listeners, that is a really good point. Um, it's so important that we have things set aside um, in case of an emergency. Um, and, you know, we always say on this podcast, emergency, it's when an emergency happens, not even emergency. It's just part of life. Um, do you check out our most recent episodes, episodes 127 and 128, um, where we um, invited Veronia Spain on um, to talk a bit more about you know, her experiences and how she managed to save quite a significant um, pe- pe- bit of money and cut down a lot of debt. But we talk about some really quality um, saving techniques that will hopefully be useful to everyone, things like having sinking funds, etc. So do check out that episode. But Jax, man, a warm welcome to you um, and a warm welcome to our listeners. Today, um, we're going to be touching on a topic. We're going to be sticking around the topic of investing, um, which we touched on a bit um, on our last episode and challenged our listeners to um, around the topic of really understanding your approach or one's approach to investing and why you go about investing. 
Um, but yeah, we're gonna continue that, Jax. And you've got some gold. Well, we're gonna call it golden rules. Let's say the, the eleven golden rules of investing that you would like to share. And hopefully, this is gonna be a good one. So, for our listeners, man, sit back, relax. If you're near pen and paper, your phone, definitely take notes. Um, if you're driving, have this on repeat wherever wherever you are, man. Definitely sit back, relax, and soak some good knowledge. Um in this episode so Jax man over to you man the 11 golden rules of investing yeah so we'll start off with number one um and number one is to have a financial plan it still amazes me how many people have started an investment journey um and actually do not have a financial plan in place essentially investing should be part of an overall financial plan and that is what allows you to select the right assets and the right investments to actually help you achieve the financial plan so the golden rule number one is to actually have a financial plan in place first before you start your investment journey financial plan and and maybe give us um one or two overviews um or headings in terms of what's going to be in that financial plan so one of the most popular uh, areas within your financial plan should be things like retirement planning, mm. right? So when we are investing, a lot of people are investing uh, so that they can achieve financial independence one day. And part of that will be when they retire. And so, you know, part of your financial plan should be retirement planning. Love that. Love that. Love that. Thank you very much for that, man. We're going to be whizzing through these as well, but we really want people to take a note um, of these different things. Some we might go into a tiny bit of detail, some we'll fall back on um and a lot of that is because we've we we have done some extended episodes on some of these as well so jack's the first golden rule and this is in not order priority this is just one of 11 golden rules of investing the first one is to have a financial plan next one bro yeah and and as part of that financial plan what i didn't mention is of course budgeting is at the heart of every financial plan so Hmm. uh, just to throw that in there as well um number two is to have an investment plan So like I just said, you can have a financial plan, but within that financial plan, you need an investment plan. And in that investment plan, that's where you look at the actual assets you're going to select. You're going to analyze how you're going to invest. So, you know, what is going to be your savings rate? What allocation of your income per month, for example, are you going to allocate to your investment portfolios, to which portfolio? portfolio? So is it going to be within your, your pension pots? Is it going to be within your taxable accounts or your other tax efficient accounts? Okay. So mm-hmm. all of this should be structured as well. An investment plan is part of a financial plan. So we start off with a financial plan and within our financial plan, we also have an investment plan to which we try to adhere to for the long term. That's really interesting. You you mentioned, you know, thinking about what potential pots think your investments might go in and actually knowing that before you just start investing. Why is that important that you know exactly, you, you might know how much you want to invest, but why is it important that you really grasp exactly what you're going to invest in and the financial products that you're going to put your money into? And, and the key thing here is you want to have uh, something to reference. And so if you don't have a reference point, uh, it could come to the the end of the month where you want to allocate some resources towards an investment and you don't really know how to, you know, and and unfortunately, a lot of us will end up, you know, potentially uh, making investments that actually do not match what we're trying to achieve. It Mm. could be, we could be easily swayed by the news. We could be easily swayed by, uh, you know, Bob in in, in the pub who tells us that this stock is going to 10X or even 100X. And we may decide to go with that, you know, investment because it sounds great. 
great. But if it's, if you have an investment plan already in place, it is much easier to stick to it. Love it, love it, love it. Nice one. So we got number one, a financial plan, and then a different type of plan, which is an investment plan. What's the next one? Number three is to invest in what you know and or what you understand. So, so the whole term of investing in what you know was actually coined by um, Peter Lynch, who mm. is one of the most successful mutual fund managers or money managers. And he talks about people having, you know, uh, a, an advantage in actually knowing some industries better than others. So if you're someone who works in a pharmaceutical industry, you may know more about what's going on there. And so you can invest in some pharmaceutical companies, for example. Um, and so th- there's, there is that aspect when we talk about single stocks. But when we talk about, you know, investing in, let's say, mutual funds and index funds, here is about understanding what they actually are. So if you understand that index funds, for example, are a pooled investment where you have access to the largest companies in the world, if it's a kind of an all stock portfolio, then you can understand that this stock, whilst it may go down, for example, you understand that generally speaking, over the long term, businesses and economy recovers and it does well once you understand that again it allows you to stick to uh, what number two was which was your investment plan so the key thing here is to invest in what you know and or what you understand i love that i love that um yeah i really do um and there's so much things that we we know and use even on a day-to-day basis um, and we've been using for our lives and we know quite a lot about and we kind of sometimes when it when it comes to investing we can just kind of skip these things yeah 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 and and you know and you know there, there are different analysis you can do when it comes to investing but you know it is much easier to understand something that you use on a daily day day-to-day basis as well uh there are times where you know i might i might drive past a company or i might be using a product and i said well it is great to be uh, a part owner of this business as well of this you know thing that i've been using all my life for example so there, there is that um but the key thing as well was was the understanding part understanding what you actually not own and the reason here is because if you understand what you own and let's say the share prices drop again this could be index funds or, or single stocks then you can make a much more informed decision um and you are investing in something that you understand so if it goes down you know that you can it, it's probably going to go back up because that's the understanding um and you do not go and make irrational decisions uh because that's what normally happens when people you know flock to things that they don't understand and chances are they probably heard a tip from somewhere else Mm. and 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 on 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 that on that side you did mention you know this is to complement your 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 research that you're doing about a particular company because i think it's so important that people don't just put uh, money into things that they might use on a day-to-day basis without doing effective research and reason why i say things like that because sometimes we can be trapped in our own bubble for example you know you might get android users that think apple you know, isn't really doing that great because I don't know, people around them in their social circles don't use it, for example. But when you read, you know, um, when you actually read about the company Apple and look at the numbers, you will know that is just not true. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I don't think people should 100% just invest in things that they use. It should be part of um, even the starting process. So you can start, you know, researching into companies based on the ones that you use and are aware of. Uh, Warren Buffett also calls this type of um, ideology investing in your circle of competence. So, you know, you should understand the business. And, and often, even him, he only invests in businesses that he finds easy to understand and not any complicated business where you don't even know how they actually make money. 
Absolutely, man. As you just mentioned, Warren Buffett, we need to do a whole episode on <laughs> called Understanding Warren Buffett or something like that. Um, but yeah, just dissecting his um principles, which to be honest, the majority of stuff, how we move around, um, you know, comes from somewhere, and he's obviously inputted into a lot of that, his knowledge. Um uh, so that's three. Uh what's next? So number four is to understand risk and reward risk and reward. And I think for the retail investor, this is probably the most difficult part of investing hmm. um, because it is hard to understand uh, risk when you are actually choosing an individual stock, for example. Um, and there are easier ways to understand risk when you are picking a more uh, passive approach, whether it be uh, index funds, mutual funds, etc. Essentially, there are so many different types of risk. And you know, the thing about investing is the moment you commit your money uh, into something that has the ability to go up or down or produce a cash flow, you are taking risk. And it's mm. important to understand the risk that you are actually taking. It's also important to understand the risk that you are taking by not investing as well. So mm. uh, some of the things that we just throw out there is things like inflation risk, uh, things like interest rate risk, you know, understanding what all these things mean for your money and also means for your investments. And of course, understanding that, you know, in the more professional world, um, the way we um, look at risk is more from a volatility perspective and volatility essentially means how you know volatile how much the share price moves on a day-to-day month-to-month and yearly basis um, from its average and if it's a stock that one day jumps up by 20 percent and ju- drops down by 20 percent another day it could well mean that over the 10-year 20-year period that stock can do amazingly you know it could be up a thousand percent but the journey to that thousand percent would have been a very very uh uncomfortable roller coaster for some people so those people mm. that you know can't accept that roller coaster we say that they don't have the risk appetite to take on this type of investment and what i would say about this this whole ideology of risk peter is i think it's actually very hard for the average person to know their risk appetite mm. if they are completely new to investing mm. um, a lot of people think they've got the ability and willingness to take risk when the stock market is in a bull market which means it's going up right mm. because all they see is it going up and they believe they can take more risk for those higher returns it's only when they go through a bear market and the, the you know the risk the volatility shoots them downwards by a high magnitude they realize that hey actually i cannot stomach these uh fluctuations in the share price even though um by our knowledge and by our understanding uh you know more volatile risks generally come up you know allow us to have higher returns over the long term so it's important to really understand risk and what type of investor you are whether you're risk averse uh, risk neutral or a risk lover and what I would say lastly is if you're risk averse, it doesn't mean you don't take any risk at all. It mm. just means you will only ever take risk if the expected return is is is, is high and is actually justifiable. Mm. No, I love that. And um, it's interesting. I mean, with this particular um, rule, it is something that you kind of are going to learn more about yourself as time goes on because you're so right people might think yeah I, I, I can take risks I'm young or whatever it might be and that justifies that um but then when reality hits that's when you truly know and then as life goes on your risk tolerance might change and you might not even be aware of it it's <laughs> you might not be aware of it or even be thinking about it so it's it's an interesting one that you kind of have to really spend time to really understand what is your 
um, uh, approach or relationship to risk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your risk profile can change. You know, mine has changed in recent times. Mm. You know, when I was single, my risk profile was one way. Mm. Now that I'm married, and my my money is her money, and her money is my money, and we have mm. our money, we have to combine our our, our our you know our finances together. We then realize that actually I cannot be as risk uh risk. I can't be the high risk taker I was before, and I've mm. adjust my risk profile to suit our objective. So it's important to consistently review your risk profile as well. Love that, love that. And for our listeners, hopefully you're you're you've been taking down um notes as well and just soaking this in. Um, we do have an episode, episode 70, which is called How to Understand and Prioritize Investment Risk. I do encourage you to check that out because we go into further detail. Jax, what's next? So number five is to understand base rates. And when I mention base rates here, I'm not necessarily just talking about, I'm not actually talking about um, interest rates set by mm. the central banks. That's, that's actually what I'm not talking about. What I'm talking about when I mention base rates in this respect is I'm talking about understanding what the natural average returns are when it comes to things like investing. So we know, generally speaking, that the stock market over a long period of time has provided between 8 to 10% uh, per year on a what we call a compounded annual growth rate which means um, on average, so some years could be 4%, another year could be 10%, another year could be 20%, another year could be minus 1%, minus 5%. But on average, over a long period of time, it's returned about 8 to 10%. Um, and if we adjust that for inflation, so if we take away, let's say 3%, the average is usually around 6 or 7%. So mm-hmm. often if you had a 6 or 7% return used, it's because it's been adjusted for inflation. And that's what we for the raw return. The reason why it's important to know this is because it is hard to overachieve more than this. Mm. And and a lot of the time, um, you know, people come into the stock market hoping to, you know, 10x their money to 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 get these completely bogus returns, outsized returns, which they can do in the short term as the same person can go to Las Vegas and make a quick buck as well. Mm. But over the long term, we know that the base rate, the general returns we get is usually around that between that 6 and 10% return. And it's important to know that and to know that if you can achieve this, then you're actually doing pretty good in the stock market. People I like Warren that. Buffett, yeah. I mean, yeah. people like Warren Buffett, who we all look like as look at as the you know the, the number one investor of all time. His average return is twenty percent per mm. year. Mm. So if you are coming to the stock market thinking you're going to make more than twenty percent per year, you have something coming. Mm. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. Okay, so it's important to understand these base rates and to understand that if you are making between eight to ten percent per year over a long period of time, you can do very, very, very well because this is a compounded return as well. Now, and what's happened, um, Jackson? In your opinion, in society for people to even be thinking, because for you to think that you can get. 30 40 percent or 20 plus whatever percent per year what's happened in society for because that doesn't you don't you're not just born that's come from somewhere yeah so what happens is um there's a technical term for it and it's called survivorship bias mm. what i mean by that is a lot of the time we see people that have done certain things um and they've done really well and they come on social media and they, and they talk about it you know it could be hey i invested in bitcoin when it was xyz amount and now i've done so so well and i've done a thousand percent on my money and now you know if, if everybody did that everybody would be rich you know mm. and now you, you feel that you know you're, you're a bit of an idiot for missing out right the fear of mm. missing out is, is lurking and, and the reason why we call it survivorship bias is the fact that you only hear about the people that actually made it big 
Yeah. You don't, you don't you don't hear about all the people that um you know actually tried the same thing and actually lost a lot of money and cashed out and lost lost their money. Okay. And and unfortunately, we only get to see these people. And so if you are you know kind of anchoring your expected returns based on something like this, then you are being extremely unrealistic. Um and actually you're going to do yourself an injustice uh, when it comes to your investment journey. Mm. No, I love that. I love that. Um yeah. You only see, yeah, as you said, you only see the people that there's a reason why it it, it might go viral, et cetera, because, yes. you know, as you said, yeah, you only see the people that make it big, but you don't see the many, 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 many who haven't. And also, by the time you hear about it, that, opp- that so-called opportunity is already gone. Yeah. Think, think of it like this, right? The lottery. We, we see the lottery winner and everyone gets excited and they think, mm-hmm. hey, that could have been me. Even though we know these chances are slim, psychologically, we think we still have a very high chance. But mm-hmm. if you want to actually look at, if everybody who played the lottery came out and done a video and said, I, I played the lottery this week. And every day. Every single day, you know, and actually we saw that, then our, you know, our, our analysis will be different, but we don't get Absolutely. to see that. The news only shows us uh, the people that have actually won. Absolutely. Wow, no, I love it, love it, love it. Understanding base rates. Um, fantastic. Cool. Number six. Number six is we have to pay attention to fees. We have to pay attention to fees. And and fees is one that can sneak away and not many people pay too much attention to it. And of course, there are different types of fees from dealing fees, brokerage fees, platform fees, uh, mutual fund fees, except uh, foreign exchange fees. There's so many different types of fees that you could be paying. But I said people need to pay attention to it because they do matter and they do make a huge difference over the long term. Earlier, I was saying if you're making uh, even a 6-7% return per year over a long period of time, that compounded annual growth, that's that's really, really good. And it mm. really, really enhances your returns. But imagine paying 1% of that return to, to you know, to to the platform or to, to the fund manager, et cetera. That could be too high. Imagine mm. you're paying 2%. Okay, which is actually not too far fetched. There are some mutual fund managers, for example, that charge two percent mm. uh, or, or up to two percent. So imagine if your return is six percent, that two percent fee reduces your returns to four percent. Mm. Yeah, and uh, imagine if you're making even a ten percent return year on year on year. Um, that ten percent returns is good, but if you're paying two percent of that return that comes down to eight percent what you don't realize mathematically and again it's just how our brains are, are wired is actually you are paying 20 percent of your returns to whoever's charging the fee mm. because two percent of ten percent is twenty percent now mm. when we rewire that and we understand it that way then we start to realize actually fees really do matter especially when you compound those fees over a long period of time I was just about to say that it's the compounding effect as well, man, because I think, again, this is where we've, we've investing, you know, we need to continue to think long-term because when we see fees, oh, that's what, three pounds or something, we see the nominal figure in the first month or year or so, and we're thinking, oh, okay, that's nothing. But when we're thinking long-term, how this begins to compound. And then if you're thinking my money is actually going to grow, you know, into six figures, into seven figures, listen, that 1% that you're seeing or this little percent here and there, it adds up. So it's yeah. so important, very yeah. important. Yeah. And and it's, you know, 1% one, one percent of, a, of, of 100 is one, but 1% of 100,000 a, of a is, is, is 1,000, right? Mm-hmm. 
No, so and, and remember, this is not just a one thousand uh, one-off fee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is one thousand consistently, and and it's compounding and eating your returns as well. And it's just how the maths works. So you have to be really, really uh, attentive um, to the to the fees. And I just love how you you shifted everything around. So essentially, if you are expecting a return of ten percent, and you are on your investments, but you are also you are paying two um two percent um to the brokers break that down again how should one look at that yeah so if if you're if you're making ten percent but you're paying two percent to whoever that's a twenty percent loss hmm. right because two percent of ten percent is twenty percent and when you start looking at it from that angle twenty percent sounds much more larger than two percent mm. uh, but it is the reality it is the truth hmm. you are paying twenty percent of your returns to uh whoever is charging you the fee love that love that and um before we move on to the next one the person listening is saying okay cool but i don't think i put my money in there's fees here there's fees there so <laughs> what's good what's a decent yeah what should i be thinking about yeah well at the end of the day you know fees are expected and you know there's nothing you can get for free and of course we we we, we pay for things that we value so you have to understand what value that that platform is is providing. So, you know, one of the main platforms that I use is a bit more expensive than some other platforms, but I value their customer service. I value the, the user interface, you know, so it, it's okay for me to pay that that premium on, on, on using that platform, for example. Um, but even when we're talking about the actual assets that we're invested in as well, it's very, very important to understand what you know what fees are within the assets as well so i'm not even talking about just platform fees i'm talking about the assets as well mm. we generally know for example that mutual funds charge a higher fee than than index funds and we also mm. know that generally that mutual funds struggle to outperform index funds over a longer period of time and so for me um i would say actually the fee that you pay is probably one of the biggest um factors you should be paying attention to when you are picking uh your your your, your funds etc once the fund, you know, once you look at the fund and you read the key investor information document, the fact sheet, and it matches your objectives, um, you should look for other funds that do the same thing. And then you should probably, in my humble opinion anyway, um, probably go with the cheapest one because over the long term, the, the returns, uh, the performance is not that different, but the mm. fees make a difference. And the fees are, you know, they're, they're going to take their fees. That's something that we do know. <laughs> returns are, are, are in the air. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow. No, that's a deep one, man. Thanks for that. Um, Jax, we're going to swiftly go on to golden rule of investing number seven. Yeah, so number seven, one of my favorite numbers is to diversify, hmm. right? So pay attention to diversification um we we know generally speaking that diversification is a good thing and there are different ways of diversifying um and you know we, we sometimes hear of terms such as diversifying or you know spreading yourself too thin but i think the key thing here is to diversify wisely and understand why you're diversifying uh, diversification is, is something that for example ray dalio talks about quite a bit you know he says you don't have to actually reduce your expected return um, if if you diversify, and that's sometimes the, mis the misconception when it comes to diversification, that, hey, if I diversify, it means my return is going to be lower. And actually, I've heard people like Warren Buffett, for example, talk about, you know, if you're starting a portfolio and your portfolio is quite small, you should probably go for a concentrated portfolio because the, you know, the expected return probably will be higher. And that's true. 
But I think we have to be really, really careful about that and know that we are not all Warren Buffett. <laughs> and the key thing is, you know, by diversifying, what we're really doing is we are reducing our risk without actually reducing the chances of, of actually, you know, getting a good return. And that's really, really important. Love that, love that, love that diversification. We must do a separate episode on that um, as well. Um, Japs, before we do the final four uh, golden moves, we're just going to take a very quick break and give a shout out to where we are getting new listeners from or an area across the world where we have listeners and we've not given a shout out to before. Uh, Japs, this area is called Mastic Beach, Long Island in New York. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Now, I don't know if it's an actual beach, but uh, I could do it. It is. I'm actually got the pictures up. It it's is. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. So, welcome to the World Finance uh, Podcast. You're here with myself, Jax, uh, and the co-host, Peter. And on this podcast, we talk about all things finance and all things finance-related. If you want to know more about what we do, because World Finance is more than just a podcast, we serve in our community here in the UK. You can head over to www.wokefinance.co.uk. Sign up to our mailing list and you are kept updated with what we are doing. And if you want to engage with us, you can head over to w, uh, you can head over to Instagram, actually. That's where we are predominantly at. And that's the Woke Finance team. If you search Woke Finance team, we are there. Slide in our DMs. Let us know who you are, what you're enjoying. And if you have any ideas of episodes you would like us to tackle. But yeah, welcome. Come on, come on, come on. A massive, massive shout out to our listeners there and all over the world, man. We appreciate your support. Keep doing what you're doing and think about one person, at least one person you want to share this to, someone you know, someone on your socials. Do your thing, man, and help us keep this conversation going. Jack, so we're going to go back to the final four golden rules of investing. What's number eight? Number eight is to uh, avoid the news or don't mind the news. Mm. Um, because the news can really affect the way that you feel. And we know that when sometimes when we make decisions or more times when we make decisions based on just our feelings, uh, they tend to be incorrect. Uh, the news is, in my opinion, is, is there to capture your attention. And there are two very, very powerful emotions that um, it tends to capture. And these two powerful emotions are also emotions that um, cause us to be terrible investors, which are fear and, and, and greed. So, you know, if you're someone like myself who watches some channels, some finance channels, you often hear, hey, the sky is falling. And there are some people that talk about doomsday and, and the next recession, the next depression, etc. And this can really affect um, our thoughts and sometimes cause us to even sell out of assets uh, prematurely, um, which is obviously not part of our investment plan. Uh, and, and and the other side to it is sometimes they talk about, you know, oh, this is going to be an amazing year. The stocks are going to go to the moon, et cetera. And you can find yourself, again, deviating from uh, number two, which was having an investment plan where you move away from your investment plan and you start doing things um, that, you know, again, fuel that, that greed that you have. So you have to be really, really careful with the news. Um, I personally don't watch a lot of financial news now. And I know sometimes people try to engage in active investment management where they listen to the news and they try to you know invest based on momentum and that kind of stuff i think the key thing is to you know understand that investing and and, and trading and speculating are two different things and mm. you have to be honest as to what you're actually doing so yeah i would avoid um too much news i don't think you know watching a bit of the news is bad just to be aware and commercially aware but i think you should be very careful to not allow it to uh change how you feel and make you make certain decisions 
no, I'm I'm definitely in agreement with that. The news in general, uh, is it exists for a reason, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, as I said, it exists for a reason. There needs to be content that appeals to some of our emotions, and a lot of the times, it's not the greatest thing as well. So, no, definitely in agreement with that, bro. Exactly, just it's there to grab your attention. Absolutely, cool. Um, swiftly moving on to number nine. Number nine, um, which is quite similar to number two. Um, so we talked about number two being having an investment plan uh, and number one being having a financial plan. Number nine is to review both of these plans and to rebalance your portfolio. Mm. And the reason why we say this is, um, again, once, once you set up your plan, uh, once you set up something called a strategic asset allocation, you know where your money is going to go every month, for example. Um, the chances are that over time, your portfolio will deviate from the plan or the structure of the portfolio can deviate or the percentages you've allocated can deviate. Example is if you have two different asset classes in your portfolio and you've gone, let's say, 80% into stocks and shares and then 20% into bonds, if you have a, a period where shares outperform bonds, it could very well shift and so much so that your portfolio now looks like a 90% stock portfolio and a 10% bond portfolio so you would want to actually rebalance this portfolio and the good thing about rebalancing your portfolio is what you're actually really really doing is you are crystallizing some profits for example and actually buying more of the asset that's done badly and so you're getting at a cheaper price and so it is important to rebalance your portfolio as you know as often as you can I, well no not as often as you can i would say uh, maybe once a year sometimes even twice a year but you don't want to rebalance it too often you want your investment thesis to play out but it's good to review it um, as well so not just rebalance it, but to review whether that asset allocation for example still matches your objectives your risk profile um, and your time frame for what you're trying to achieve Love that, love that. Um, and I know there's some platforms out there that help you to be able to um rebalance um with a well, help you to rebalance. But Jax, we must do a separate episode in terms of you know what it looks like to actually rebalance your portfolio and how one must go about when it comes to time to doing that once or twice a year. Absolutely, absolutely. That would be great. And I think, yeah, you know, nowadays we have access to some great uh tools and, and platforms that allow you to rebalance with a with a click of a button exactly um cool no this is really really um helpful man um we've gone through literally nine golden rules and our listeners are wondering what are the final two so jacks number 10 number 10 i've kind of touched on it already when we spoke about the news but here we're talking about just paying attention to your emotions hmm. uh being aware of your emotions and understand that your emotions can be a very strong driving force towards your investment decision making and so one of the ways i would say to even you know uh, not just paying attention to your emotions, but actually intentionally putting things in place so that your emotions do not govern your decision making. So it could be um, maybe, you know, uninstalling the, the app from your phone so that you're not looking at it every single day, for example, little things like that. But it's important just to pay attention to them uh, whenever you start to feel a certain emotion, particularly greed or fear, you want to question it twice or three times or 10 times. <laughs> what are some of the... So I think you mentioned, well, what are some of the signs that you may be giving a bit too heavily into, you know, your emotions? So you mentioned, you know, in uninstalling the app, I'm assuming, you know, if you if a sign is, I check my investment portfolio on my phone every single day. Yes. Yeah. If you're checking your portfolio every single day, then you know that this this portfolio has, has uh, 
it's is managing your emotions and actually what's 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 not great about this is it can actually affect how you feel on a general um level um your day-to-day so it can affect your mood right so it could be that you know if the stock market is down 10 percent, you go throughout your day just unhappy because you've actually just lost what a percentage of your net worth for example so um just just removing it from removing the app from your 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 phone could be great and remember you're going to review your portfolio anyway and that's why you know the first two things i mentioned earlier on in this episode number one and two financial plans and investment plans are extremely important because it is this that you can use as your reference point and anytime you are deviating from your investment plan or your financial plan um, then you know that it's probably done because of an emotion um, rather than a, a proper rational decision. Mm, love it, love it, love it. Okay, Jack, so for the 11 golden rules of investing, number one, we have have a financial plan. Number two, we have have an investment plan. Number three, we have invest in what you know and understand. Number four, understand risk and reward. Then number five, understand base rates Number six, pay attention to the fees. Number seven, diversify. Number eight, don't mind the news. Number nine, review and rebalance your portfolio. And number 10, pay attention to your emotions. You've got 10 golden rules of investing with one final one to go. Yeah. And the final one I think could actually be one of the most important it probably is the most important um it's in competition with number one and two and essentially here i'm talking about people being very very aware of their behaviors and their psychologies their, their behavior and the psychological biases okay so it's actually quite similar to number 10 but it goes one step further we are human beings uh for that reason we have emotions and we also have circumstances that we have things that we've gone through um, the way the brain works as well is very interesting. And actually, as someone who works in finance, the whole uh, industry of behavioral finance has grown tremendously because actually what you find, Peter, with investing success is less so the technicalities, right? But it's much more so the behaviors. The person who's going to be successful with their investment journey is not the one who is able to pick the best stocks. It's one that had an investment plan. I was able to stick to the investment plan regardless of um, their emotions and regardless of their behavioral biases. So I'll, I'll just throw some of these biases out there and I think people should learn about them and, and go one step further to learn more about psychology when it comes to money and, and when it comes to investing. But we have one that I mentioned already, which was like survivorship bias, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we, we only see the people that have done well and we forget about everyone else. And so for that reason, we can make a biased decision to think that this thing I'm about to invest in is going to continue doing what it used to do because it did it for everyone else, which was just one person, right? Hmm. So there's that. There's another one called, for example, recency bias, which means uh, we pay a lot of attention to what's happening now. And sometimes we think what's going to happen now or what's happening now is going to last forever. Right. Mm. So we often say things like, oh, my gosh, this time is going to be different. We know we've gone through recessions, depressions and dot com bubbles and et cetera. uh, But we've always bounced back out mm. okay however whenever we are going through those periods a lot of the time we think this time is different this time we're not going to bounce back because the recent thing that's happening feels like it's going to last forever 
and that can cause us to make irrational decisions or cause us, cause us to make decisions that um or, or cause us to not make decisions that could benefit us for example hmm. um another one that i think is actually very powerful the next two things i think are extremely powerful one is uh confirmation bias hmm. which is when you have uh, a certain ideology a certain thought we tend to look for things that confirm these things and we tend to avoid the things that will challenge it Mm. so you know if i think that manchester united football club is the best team in the world i'm only going to look at all the times that manchester united football club done very well mm. uh, i'm going to neglect the fact which that is not terrible. a lot okay <laughs> <laughs> for a while for example right and you find that in a lot of debates you know when you're debating with someone you're arguing with someone because they are um they have this bias they are basically just you know uh, not even listening to what you're saying they're listening mm. to respond rather than listening to understand what you're saying because they, they don't want to understand what you're saying mm. because it challenges their, their their bias, right? They want to hear someone else's idea that confirms their initial thoughts anyway. Mm. And we have to be very, very careful of that confirmation bias. It causes us to make some, some bad decisions um, and it pushes us into, into making decisions that are quite uh, one way. And, and the other one uh, is what we call anchoring, mm. which is... Uh, very well used in marketing, which is, Peter, if I told you that um, I, I bought a, a, a suit for £500, um, you know, you might say that's expensive, you might say that's a decent price, whatever. Um, but if I say to you that, oh, I bought a, uh, a suit for £500 that used to cost £2,000, mm. you'd be like, oh, you might say, Jack, that is a deal. <laughs> yeah. That is an absolute deal. Wow, <laughs> like, that's amazing, right? But if I said to you, I bought a suit for £500 that used to cost £250, Mm. what are you doing Jack mm. why would you mm. do that right but essentially the 500 pounds is still the 500 pounds it's still the same <laughs> it doesn't matter where it started okay because price and value are two different things okay and so that's that's how marketing is they use anchoring and a lot of salespeople use anchoring because they you know, to negotiate etc because we tend to anchor every other price move based on the starting point Okay. And that happens a lot with people that invest in single stocks, for example. If the stock has gone down, for example, but it's been at a certain price for the past 10 years, they will anchor that price to, to they will anchor the, the, stock, the stock price to that thing. And mm. so when it goes down, they say it has to bounce back up. Mm. Right? They don't realize that actually the fundamentals of the company have changed. So we have to be very, very careful of anchoring as well. Um, and those are just a few kind of uh, behavioral finance terms and biases that are thrown out there, but it's important that we are aware of them and, and we, we don't allow them to kind of fool us when it comes to making decisions. I love that. I love that because even on your last point, you know, one can look at a company that can go on, I don't know, Google and look at the the stock price um, graph from 20 years ago and seeing, oh, 10 years ago, it was this it was this high, it was this much. Um, but right now it's this low. It has to get back to then. But no, as you said, the fundamentals of the company might have changed to suit the times that we're now in as well. So that it may never go back to that. It might exactly. go up, but may never go back to that price. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, and to be fair, I think out of all these biases, one of the hardest ones to deal with is anchoring. For mm. some reason, the brain just can't, <laughs> they can't mm. deal with it. Wow. Um, and that's why it's such a powerful marketing technique. Wow, love it, love it. When you were talking about confirmation bias, I was just thinking about every single conspiracy theorist out there. Exactly, there you go. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it, love it. No, man, Jax, that was solid, man. Seriously, that was solid. Um, Love that, man. And did you have any final points that you want to touch on before I let you go? 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's so much more we can talk about when it comes to investing. And in each of these uh, 11 uh, things I've, I've mentioned, we can go into much more depth. Uh, but the key thing is to just be aware of them. Uh, investing is one of those things that it, it's, it's amazing. I think everyone should be doing it. Well, I know everyone should be doing it. Um, but we just have to be aware of some of these things uh, and, and continue to learn and also give ourselves some grace because even myself and Pim Peter, we are all on a financial journey. Before we even came on air, we we're talking about some of our, le- our, our learnings over the past few years when it comes to investing. And so, and so, yeah, it's, it's always a continuous learning curve. But I would say some of these um, will help you um, just kind of start your journey and stay the course over the long term. Hmm. Love it, love it, love it, man. Golden nuggets, golden nuggets. So there you have it. The golden rules of investing, 11 of them. Um, Jats, man, really appreciate your time. For our listeners, man, I some of you might be feeling like how I'm feeling right now and just grateful to be in an environment where we can be exposed to quality knowledge that enhances our life, in particular, our relationship to, to, to money and finance and our own personal finances. So if you are feeling a bit of gratitude right now um, and you just want to say thank you, but you can't obviously because you listen to this on a podcast, one of the ways you can say thank you is rate us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you've already done that, hopefully a five-star rating, um, leave a review, a written review. And if you've done that, think about someone you can send this to, this episode. We all have that one person that we wish gets on board on this personal finance journey. Um, they don't need to be a Warren Buffett, but just it could be a shift in the smallest bit of their mindsets that you would love for them to um to embark on, so to speak. Share it with them. It does wonders when you share it on WhatsApp, on you know, WhatsApp, uh, social media, Instagram, all of that stuff. You never know who it might be touching. And we don't need to know, but we do appreciate when you share what you hear um, on the Woke Finance uh, podcast. So, yeah, man, Jax, just appreciate you. Listeners all over the world, much love, man. We appreciate you. I remember all. Stay woke.